everybody, welcome back to MMA BJJ and Life. I'm your host, TJ San Marco, coming to you from Laguna Niguel, California. That is, of course, the sweet sounds of the boys from the Midlands, Led Zeppelin with Traveling Liverside Blues. And uh, man, we got an awesome night for you tonight. Not only do we have my co host, Regulare, uh, Senor Brent Littell, the professor from Gracie Baja, but we also have the great Javier Vasquez is going to be on with us in just a second here. So I'm going to dial these guys up on Skype um, and we will intro uh, former UFC veteran Javier Vasquez, WC veteran, EBI veteran, Gracie Black Belt, owner of an academy, just an amazing analyst. Uh, we'll dial them up here in a second. So um, we will be right back with uh, Professor Brent Littell and the Professor Javier Vasquez of uh, Gracie Rancho Cucamonga in just a second on MMA BJJ and Life. Just sit tight. Spend my days with a woman unkind. And what better song to come back to? Uh, live recording then going to California the song I played as I uh, packed up the moving truck and started driving west for this amazing place that I live now but uh, welcome back to MMA BJJ and Life I'm your host DJ San Marco coming to you from Laguna Niguel California and on the line with me right now are uh, two uh, two heavyweights here in the uh, Southern California Jiu-Jitsu uh, community of course my co-host as usual uh, Brent Littell, the uh, black belt under Eddie Bravo and Felipe de la Monica of Gracie Baja. And Javier Vasquez, the owner-operator, let's see, former UFC veteran, former WEC OG, and owner of Gracie Rancho Cucamonga, and two gentlemen who are both going to have strike-based jiu-jitsu in their curriculum. How you doing, Javi? I'm good. I'm, I'm glad to hear other people are starting to implement this stuff, right? Yes, yes, uh, the gentleman on the line. Say hello to uh, Javi, Brent. <laughs> hello, Javi. Yeah. I, uh, hey, Brent. I'm, I'm, a, I'm doing well, and I don't feel like I deserve to be in the same uh, sentence in terms of heavyweights. Javi is, uh, <laughs> is, is, way, is, is a legend uh, in, in the jiu-jitsu and the MMA community here. Um, but, yes, I'm very excited. I know that you also have a website that you put together after years of walking around with a notebook with all your... Uh, moves and so forth. Yeah, I, I don't know, yeah, like, because on Instagram you have your stuff as well, right, Javi? Yeah, and, the, and we have a YouTube channel now, um, and we've been putting videos up pretty frequently, and we've been getting a lot of really good feedback from our YouTube channel. Um, people really, really like it, a lot of philosophy, a lot of little tricks, um, and, um, you know, trying to understand the concepts, the conceptual um ideas behind the jiu-jitsu that I teach and that I practice. Um, I, I don't know, but Brent and I actually discussed it on the show, but it was like a huge shock to me, Hob, when they had that first EBI, and I didn't see anybody from your academy with the when they had the combat jiu-jitsu, and I, I just assumed that you were going to be all over that thing. What was your take on that? Well, um, I'm, I'm going to do it. It's supposed to be in April, uh, or not April, it's supposed to be in October. It was actually supposed to be in April, May, or June, initially. April, May, June, that time frame. And then uh, 
Eddie, Eddie told me that apparently that they're going to have some all girls event, which is going to be in July. Mm-hmm. And then um, in October, he's going to do a 145 uh, strike base jiu-jitsu, basically, or combat jiu-jitsu tournament. So that's probably the one I'm going to do. I'm going to have to cut a little bit away. Not too much. I'm walking around pretty light, but I'll probably have to, you know, actually train and get in shape for it and, and do all that, which is which is fun. I mean, I, I've been I've been preaching this for such a long time, and I think after people watch me roll with strikes, they're going to get a different understanding of 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 the level that of the stuff that I'm doing and as opposed to what everybody else is doing. I know what everybody else is doing. Um, so, so half your academy is going to be in the audience. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, I was going to say half your academy is going to be in the audience for that one. If you're going to go out and do and actually be the one, I didn't know if it was going to be your students or if you were going to do it yourself, but I guess you can't resist. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I, I basically, basically competed in, every type of competition, you know, so this is kind of like the last one that I really haven't, you know, I competed in MMA, I competed in like pancreas, where it was open hand strikes, you know, starting on your feet, and I competed in jiu-jitsu, I competed in no-gi, I competed, um, you know, submission only, you know, no time limit, time limit, EDI rules, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've pretty much done every rule set, and this one here is basically the one that I've always felt limited, you know, because of there's a lack of strikes, but now that I can actually have, well, I don't even know if I can have my force, you know, but they can, they're going to have, you know, at least the slaps, you know, so you can't really elbow, you can't really knee, I don't think, so I'm going to double check on that, but if I, <laughs> if I can do all of it, shoulder punch, if I can do all of it, it's going to be ugly. There's a, there's a lot there that people don't realize. But, I didn't um, think of the shoulder yeah, strikes. Like, <laughs> well, and when you look yeah, at it, uh, Boss Rutten, back when he was doing pancreas and hitting people um, while they were on the ground, I kind of am wondering if Eddie wants to see some of that. I mean, he talks about slaps, but having like an open palm strike to the nose, you're going to see some guys lose their uh, <laughs> I don't think uh, Yeah, like, like I said, I mean, the, the first TBI, and I don't mean too much, you know, any disrespect to anybody because anybody who does it, is has balls, you know, because there's a lot of jujitsu people out there that would never even consider doing that. So I, I, I admire their courage and I admire what they're doing, but those are guys, in my opinion, that are either hitting or grappling. They're either doing one or the other, and they don't really have an understanding of how to blend the whole thing together and make the whole thing work as one seamless, um, uh, one seamless system. They're either doing one or the other. They're loading up on their shots. They're, they're just either, it, it, it's a very, they're very green in, in rolling with strikes from what I saw. Yes, um, the guy the, that one did a good job. I think he got two submissions, which is great. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, 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 it's still amazing that they're doing it, but there is, a, there is another way to do it where it looks a little bit more um, clean. A little more professional. Um, a little, yeah, a little bit more professional, a little bit more um, efficient, a little bit more technically sound, you know. So if you're trying to hit for, for, for damage, you're always going to get tired. But if you try to hit for movement and positional you know, advantages um, and you understand uh, how to create behavior, that's where you're going to see a huge level change, a huge level difference. You shouldn't see people spazzing out. They should be just as relaxed rolling with strikes as they do without. That's just the way it is, you know. And if, if people are spazzing out, 
um, that just shows an experience. So if people are throwing as hard as they possibly can and trying to jump in that, in the range and out of range, that shows a little bit of an experience. There's a way that you can be in range and, and not be spazzing out. There's a way that you can land consistent shots without having the arms blocking. Um, there's a system. There's, there's definitely a way to do it, and, and that's what I'm hoping to show. I, th- I think it'll be interesting to see you in there and to see some MMA guys jump in because the caliber mm-hmm. of your uh, ground and pound will be so much different. I've gone and seen some local pancreation tournaments, and you see a couple jiu-jitsu guys go do them, and then you'll always see like one or two kickboxers who show up, and they scare mm-hmm. the bejesus out of some of the, uh, the, the jiu-jitsu guys. You see them hit a guy in the ribs once and the guy like folds completely. Yep. So it'll yeah, be kind of... People, yeah, people, people don't know how to work a guard with strikes for the most part. They understand one range. They understand when the guy's head is down, their chest to chest, and they're keeping their head down and they can go to mission control or they can just hold the head down and wrap the arm and hope for the best. That's one stage. That's one range that we're dealing with. There's, there's at least five ranges that we deal with. So... Yes, if you can get them into mission control, if you can pull their head down, if you can establish the clinch and you can pull them down, yeah, that's great. That's, but that's only one range. But what if you can't do that? What if the guy's standing above you? What if the, I, I forget what Eddie calls it when the guy's standing above you, like one for forward, one for back. He calls it, um, what does he call that? Uh, God, I forget what he calls it. But it's, it's not Alcatraz, but he calls it... Um, oh, is, yeah, it, it, is there a name for that? that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alcatraz is something. Yeah, Alcatraz is his escape from Mount. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not, it's not Alcatraz. It's not Alcatraz. But, but basically, it's, it's, it's when the guy's standing above you, and you're kind of like in a range where they can fire shots at you, but they can grab your feet. It, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a tough position to work from. Um, but again, there's, there's ways around it. There's ways to do it. So there's no question about that. Um, I just don't think people have spent as much time, I think, in the next few years, especially after I show it, you know, the way I'm doing things and hopefully things go well and I'm able to, to win and, 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 and look good doing it. I mean, that's always the plan. Um, but anything could happen. I know I can get caught. I know I can get beat. It's just, it's just, like, just like with anything else. But I feel, you know, 20 years of experience, 20 years of me doing jiu-jitsu. Uh, it'll be 20 years in, uh, in November. So right, right. As that tournament comes in, it's going to be just shy of 20 years. And for 20 years, my jiu-jitsu has only been focused on not getting hit. It's always right. been that way, ever since day one. So that's always been my primary objective with it because I knew that if I was caught standing and I got hurt standing, if I can fall to my guard, they'll never be able to, to follow up and finish. And I can always tie them up and I can at least weather the round and then regroup in the next round. And that was always something that if I knew that I was outclassed on the feet, I knew I could always just pull guards. And I was totally confident pulling guard and not taking damage and, and working off my back. And I did it. I've, I've done it in fights. So I know it works. And um, like I said, it, it, it's, a, it's a, I mean, in the 20 years I've been doing this, to me, this is the most exciting time. There's no question. It's, it's the most revolutionary time in all of jiu-jitsu. Submission only is caught on. I can't even watch point tournaments anymore. It's, it's just unwatchable to me. I'm not saying that they're not good jiu-jitsu guys, they're not good athletes, they're not amazing uh, competitors. No, that's not it. But their objective to win the, the points world, it, it's, it's the effectiveness of, of that style of jiu-jitsu is good, 
but you're not, they're not finishing. People aren't finishing. That's why I lean towards submission only so much more where positionally it doesn't really matter unless you can finish with a submission. So it, it, it's, I don't think that there's been a time where jujitsu has been so kind of divided now. It's always been the same up until recently. Now there's submission only. Well, there's self-defense and then sport jujitsu. There was that divide. Mm-hmm. And now there's a divide within sport jujitsu. Now there's submission only and there's um, uh, point-based jujitsu. And then on top of that, then you have self-defense jujitsu on top of that. Now you have combat jujitsu, which isn't even... So now everything's kind of getting divided, which, which is showing the growth. And, and hopefully, in my, and, and what I'm hoping is that I'm one of the guys that has pushed this style of jiu-jitsu, which is submission only. Um, and I'm kind of known a little bit for pu- pushing that movement. And now, now my mission is to push combat jiu-jitsu so people start training jiu-jitsu the way it was originally supposed to be done. Like, everybody should be rolling with strikes. That should, you shouldn't even be rolling without strikes unless you're, if you're gay off. <laughs> you know, every day you should every day you should be rolling with strike at least thirty minutes. Do about four or five rounds, start on your feet, get gloves on and you're throwing punches and kicks lightly at each other, getting used to um you know, punch trajectory and, and timing and distance management and and, and, and and being able to close distance both for, with leg shots and with clinching and, and, and understanding how to fight in a clinch and understanding how to defend strikes from mount and how to defend strikes from guard and half guard and side mount. Um, you need to be able to do these things. And, and the fact that people don't be, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to get hit. I'm like, that's why you shouldn't do it. So that's, yeah, exactly. Not to get hit, yeah, I'm, I'm actually committed to going to Brent's Academy when he's open and, and doing some. And Brent, let me just ask you really quick, as, as you get ready to open and you're going to have that curriculum, do you think that, that it will flow back? to HQ and that maybe we would eventually be doing it at HQ or do you think it's going to be something that only you and a few Gracie Bajas are doing? Well, I, you know, I kind of have the same feelings uh, as Javi, uh, maybe not 30 minutes a day, but uh, <laughs> I, I, definitely, I definitely agree that you need to, to learn that and I would hope that, that Baja would embrace that as well. I think that <laughs> nobody walks in your door wanting to learn how to do a barambolo. The first thing that they want to learn is how to protect themselves and their loved ones in a fight. And if you don't teach them that, and if the first time a punch is thrown at their face is when they're on the street, you've failed your students. So I I hope that 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 kind of message resonates with people in the jiu-jitsu community. I, I, I turn people down. Like, oh, you know, you know, I want to be a competitor. I'm like, this is probably not the right school for you. They're like, well, what do you do here? I'm like, I teach people not how, how to not to get your head smashed. That's mm-hmm. it. That's my only concern. You know, does my jiu-jitsu translate to competition? Yeah, of course it does. I've repeated in every style of, of jiu-jitsu, you know. But my main concern, my main concern is, is, is guys understanding how to defend punches, guys understanding how to clinch, guys understanding basic stand-up. Um, basic rules to stand up, um, basic defenses, covering, pairing, slipping, um, uh, you know, hand control, inside control, sticky hands. Uh, I mean, there is a way to do it. There's just people are so enamored with, you know, winning gold medals that, that, that they just forget. Even the self-offensive, the basic self-offensive, the chokes, blocks, um, you know, the rear choke, rear bear hug defenses, front bear hug, um, guillotine defenses, like all of these things, just these basic self-defense things that nobody teaches anymore. And um, 
and it, it's sad. And I'm like, well, if I'm the only one that's going to do it, I'm going to be the only one that's going to do it. And that's it, you know, but I'm, I'm trying to get other guys involved. And, 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 you know, when if Brent looks at my curriculum and, and, and takes a look at what I'm doing, and I'm sure he's doing great, great stuff too, because it, it's not that difficult. It really is not that difficult, but if you're not addressing it and you're not ever putting yourself in that danger, you're not, you're never going to figure it out. I, I think he's already planning on having you do a seminar as we speak. <laughs> there's no better guy. I'm, I'm telling you, for real. I really feel like there's no better guy. I really feel I'm, I'm way ahead of everybody on this on, on this one. I mean, and that's not trying to toot my horn. I just, I've rolled with the best guys in the world. I've, I've trained with the best guys. I've fought the best guys. And I understand the level of what they're doing. I understand where the, most people are at. I just get it. I, I understand. That's where I was, you know. 15, 16 years ago. And everyone's just kind of plateaued. And that's kind of the level of, of ground and pound and just in general. And because people won't really, they're just trying to do things harder, faster, stronger. And there's a, there's, there's a, there's a method behind it. There's not, it's not just, you know, being fast and being strong and, 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 and just overpowering people. There's, there's a finesse to rolling strikes. There's a true finesse. And if people, like I said, I'm, I'm excited to, to hopefully, you know, showcase that. Uh, I, you know what? I I really miss watching you roll, Javier. I'm not just saying. I mean, I watched you at the Gracie Worlds. I was in attendance for that. I watched you at EBI, and the fact that like there's really no position where you look like you're in big trouble. And I'm not sitting here insinuating that you're gonna win every match ever. But the thing I look at your game and wish mine was like that is that you look comfortable everywhere. That's the goal. You have to be yeah. comfortable everywhere. I'm not, I'm not freaking out about, about anything. because, And it's the same thing with strikes. I let them mount. I let them side mount. I let them take my back, and I work my way up. It's, it's, it's always going to be the same thing. It's, it's, my jiu-jitsu is kind of like one size fits all. It, 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 it's good for every kind of application, and that's kind of the way I designed it. So I'm not a specialist in no 5,000 different kind of lapel chokes. I really don't care. You know, I mean, I, I do what I do. I try to do that to the best of my ability. I, I keep a pretty concise game. I mean, it's still pretty extensive, but I mean, as far as like the application of it, it's pretty concise. I mean, when I'm landing certain spots, I'm kind of going for certain things um, and following certain systems. So, um, so it, it, there is a way to do it and there's a safe way to do it as well. I, I, I think, I, I, I'm sorry, go, go ahead, Brent. Yeah, I have a, I have kind of some, Conflict, not conflicting thoughts with you, but just I've watched a lot of the now not of the uh, the combat jujitsu, but of the submission only jujitsu, and you know one of the things I've noticed is some of the submission only jujitsu artists have almost gotten away from a combat ready style jujitsu because they're so willing to give up sweeps. And they're just um, playing some footsie games. I've seen guys pull uh, side control, and that's fine in a way. But at the same time, part of submission only was the idea, or part of jiu-jitsu was the idea that we need to be ready for combat, right? Um, we need to be ready to fight. And if like we continue to see guys who just kind of, okay, you've got the sweep, I want to sit on my back, and now you... You, you now you swept now uh, I'm sweeping you and you just kind of fall and you don't fight for position as hard. Do we lose some of that combat readiness and some of the transition over to MMA where people aren't gonna just flop over and fall over and you're gonna have to fight for each position? 
You, you know, um, the leg, lock, leg locks. You know, that's the new craze. That's the new big deal. Um, and it's great. I think I think the, the leg lock game is, has evolved a lot over the past, uh, I'd say, maybe two years. And I think it's great. Um, but you have to understand that the way some of these guys play guard, where they sit up and they have the like very similar to Eddie Cummings. You know, the way he sits up and he kind of mm-hmm. sucks you in. And he's looking to drag, and as you pull away, then he attacks your legs. You can't do that in combat jujitsu. I mean, you can, but you're going to get the fucking shit fucked out of you. Right. You know what I mean, you can't do that. And you saw that the first the first match, the guy sat up and the guy threw a slap at him. I'm sorry, he had to put his back on the ground. So I already know that you got to put your back on the ground. So to me, what I, I already knew laughing. I was already smiling when these guys that play sit-up guard. It doesn't work. It's not going to work. You're going to get your ass beat. It doesn't work. So a lot of these leg dog guys are going to have to be going off their back, which, is, which, which leaves them exposed to getting hit because of the range. So... Those like well, those are gonna have to make adjustments. I'm not saying that that they're gonna be completely getting their asses whooped, but I mean the, the, the setups and entries are gonna be a little bit different because you, they don't want to be upside down on their head and things like that because because of the angle of of of, uh, of the of the of the punches coming straight down. Even the palms, dude, that that shit hurts. Oh, palms in, in, in the face from, from when somebody's standing above you and they're punching straight down. That shit, that shit hurts. So. A lot of these guys just don't understand. Look, a few years ago, uh, Mike, Mike, the guy who owns Jiu-Jitsu Magazine, came by my academy, and I rolled with him with strikes. And I opened up his eyes. I said, he's like, I never realized how many places I can get hit from. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's the problem. People are putting themselves in places where they think they're not going to get hit, but they're very likely to get hit. They're in range to get hit. That's the problem. People play a game that they don't realize how exposed they truly are. Um, can I ask, I just want to ask you like a, a very rudimentary question. So if you slap hands with a guy, you both have MMA gloves on, you're about to train, um, roll with strikes. Is your goal, if you were in half guard or something for some reason, like all of a sudden he, he picked your foot up, put you in half guard, are you looking to just get off the bottom so that you can land strikes or what's your goal? No. Okay. My goal is to not get hit. Okay. My goal is to not get hit. My goal is to, look, from half guard, from side mount, from guard, I understand behavior. I understand what the guy on top can do. I understand his options. I understand the range. And I understand my basic positioning. So I know in order for him to hit me, in order for him to have space to pull and hit me, there's only so many places he can do that from. If he wants to posture, it allows space for me to knee shield and get back to guard. If he wants to stay down close and tight to me, he can't hit me. Okay. Because he needs space. He's going to have to pull away. If he's grappling, I'm hitting. If he's, if he's hitting, I'm grappling. Okay. Got it. That makes, that makes sense. It's you always can... the case. It, okay. It's always the case. Uh, you know, you have to understand, in order for people to get hit, and, and, and most people, they overthrow their punches. They're on the ground, and they're throwing every punch as hard as they can. That's what's going to get you tired. There's a, there's a flow and a rhythm to the fight. There's a flow and a rhythm to, to rolling with strikes. People don't understand the flow and rhythm to rolling with strikes. There's a there's a fluidity. There's a there's a fluidity in the movements where as I'm moving, I'm hitting. As I'm passing, I'm hitting. As I'm defending, I'm hitting. So it always keeps you at bay, you know. So I'm hoping, and I'd love to see what the punch count is or what the strike count is. I mean, in a 10 minute match, if somebody, if the guy is good. I'm guessing I'm probably going to hit him between 100 and 200 times in a round. Wow. That's my guess. 
That's going to be my guess. I mean, somewhere in that neighborhood, between one and two hundred shots. And if he doesn't, if he's not, if he's not remotely close to my level, he'll probably get hit about three hundred times in a ten-minute round. There's no question about it. There's no question about it. People just don't understand. They don't understand the rhythm. They don't understand the pacing. They don't. They don't understand how often you can really get hit. And because I understand the game far better than most people, and I understand um, the level better than most people, I am very confident that that. I'm very excited. I'm very excited to show what I'm doing. And if I get my ass whooped, then I get my ass whooped. But I, one thing I, I'm always going to do is I'm always going to put my balls on the line and test what I'm doing against the best guys. I don't run from anybody. I don't run from anybody. You don't hear me. Oh, I want Javi Valkyrie. You know why? Because you'll end up getting me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, didn't one of the EBIs you, like, uh, get out of your street clothes or get a call and you were down there in an hour to go and compete or something yeah, like, like that? Yeah, like two hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I, I was walking at 155, 150, 155, and I, was, and I competed in the 170. I just don't care. Yeah, I just don't care. Like I'm not afraid of grappling people, and I'm not afraid of grappling people with strikes. It, it just doesn't frighten me. And I've rolled with a lot of good guys with strikes, and and I understand the level of of, of the jiu-jitsu. I understand these milky guys are really good. I I got I get it. I get it. But, but you you want to test them? At, you'd like to test somebody like Eddie Cummings with strikes involved. And see if he can pull He's going to be a tough match no matter what, but, but yeah. he's going to have to make a, a adjustments to his game for sure. Yeah. For sure he's going to have to make adjustments to his game. He, he, he's not just going to be able to do what he does because he, he does it from certain positions. Right. You know, his, but, but, his but game, he's super dangerous. He's super dangerous, I'll tell you that. His game flows from his arm drag, right? And yeah. mm-hmm. an, arm, well, an arm drag is going to be hard when someone's hitting you. Um, well, you got to get close enough to drag. So, right. Like, like I said, like I said, I respect Eddie a lot. I like it. I like his style. I've studied his game. I mean, I've learned um, and altered my game because of it. So, it's, it, there's nothing but love coming from me to Freddie and, and Gary and Gordon and those guys and Donahue. I, I think they've done an amazing job. I, I really, really do. And I admire all their work and I admire all their efforts. Um, rolling with strikes is a little bit different. So. Yeah, if he wants to do it and he wants to go against me, man, I'll see him in the finals. <laughs> Good luck. That is awesome. And by the way, shout out to Gordon Ryan who stepped up on five minutes notice and, and uh, took on Leandro Lowe. And I don't think Leandro Lowe really passed his guard once. Uh, Brent could speak to that yeah. better. But, uh, I, la- I, I had to leave the trials. Like many jiu-jitsu tournaments, it was poorly run. And it was supposed to, the super fights were supposed to go on at five, and it was like start, and it was at seven, they were barely starting, and my wife's like, nope, we gotta go. We're done. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do I can't do these tournaments. Dude. I can't, like, I can't do it. I mean, call me, I don't know, man, call me whatever, but I just can't go watch point tournaments, the ADCT trials I don't care about. Like, I, none of these things, EBI I care about, um, if there's a good sub only, you know, Polaris is fun to watch. Um, stuff like that. Like to go to the world and we sit there and watch these guys compete, it just does nothing for me. It does nothing for me. So, yeah. Well, I, I will say I did see some some exciting jujitsu out of actually um, Nikki Ryan, who is Gordon Ryan's little brother, who must be about 15. It was amazing <laughs> to see him at the trials because his stature is that of like a, a poorly built 12 year old boy. And he was, go- he was going up against. Uh, these, you know, adults who were holding a lot of muscle, and he was 
making them look uh, like beginners. Um, I think he came in, third, I want to say third in the trials. It was a real testament to jujitsu uh, being the little, you know, the little guy can overcome um, because he is for sure a little guy. So, I w- you know, as, yeah. as unexciting as it was, I will say I was really excited to watch him compete um, because of that. And then it's also I hear he's really good. Yeah, he he, he, he was really good. He even hit an arm bar. So he saw I saw uh, a little bit of in his repertoire. So um, it wasn't all just heel hooks. It was a lot of heel hooks, but uh, you know he he did show some other guard stuff. Their their game is well rounded. I think they've proven that now. Um, Gary can you know has all the different skills as does Gordon and and and. Uh, and uh, uh, Eddie, but I think the next frontier for them is with strikes, as you as you said. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I mean, and like I said, I'm, I'm you know, I, I feel like a dinosaur because you know, I mean, I'm the one that's pushing it. I've been pushing it for so long, and all these guys are such great athletes, and they're still and they're still young, and they still got a long future. So you know, I'm I'm at the towards the end of my road. You know, I mean, I all I wanted to do was prove that the stuff that I was doing works. You know, that that was always my my, my, my philosophy behind competing. I just want to see if it works. I want to see if the things that I'm doing work at the highest level. So, um, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm not nervous at all. I'm incredibly confident in, 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 in this thing. I'm, I'm super excited. I've got plenty of time to train. I'm, I'm going to get in shape. And I'm going to whoop everyone's ass. I'm not joking. I'm going to whoop everyone's ass. And there's nothing that they, they can do about it because they're not on my level. And that's, and that's the God's honest truth. I really, really believe that. And if I'm full of shit and I'm full of shit, I'm going to get my ass kicked. But you know what? I'm going to stand behind, and, I, and I'll congratulate it if they do, but I'm telling you, I'm going to whoop everyone's ass. There's no question about it. I will be in attendance for that, Javi. Uh, we kept you, uh, I don't know, we've kept you probably more than uh, what you bargained for, 28 minutes or so now, so I won't keep you any longer. Uh, please uh, give out your Twitter and, and your Instagram, because I know people can get some techniques on there. Please promote your stuff, would you? Um, yeah, my Instagram and Twitter are both the same. Or actually, no, actually, my, my Twitter now is at uh, Javier Showtime. And then my Instagram is Strike Base Jiu-Jitsu. Um, the YouTube channel has been doing really, really well for us. People really like it. Like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, and that's Strike Base Jiu-Jitsu on, on uh, YouTube. Um, been getting a lot of really good reviews. Uh, people really like the videos, so it's really exciting. I've always... I, I, I never showed it. I never showed anything. I never wanted to show people what I was doing because I was competing all the time. Now that I'm not competing as much, now I'm more you know open and willing to to show kind of what I'm doing and and the stuff that I've been showing, people have really been enjoying. So the Strike Base YouTube YouTube channel, Strike Base YouTube Instagram. I do little technique clips and stuff like that. I I I, I um put you know pictures and stuff of course of seminars and stuff. I show technical um, snippets and then and then. Uh, and then my Twitter, no joke, I'm, I'm barely on that thing. But, but if, you, if you hit me up, it might take me a minute to, to get back to you, sometimes <laughs> weeks. But, but, I, but I always answer everybody back. Uh, yeah. uh, Go ahead. Please. I just want to say um, quickly about his YouTube channel. He showed something so simple that's so ignored in the community, which is just head movement. Uh, there was a, a quick piece you did on when you're closing the distance for the clinch, and why we don't ever have people doing head movement while they're standing. Instead, we just all walk forward like robots. So just mm-hmm. uh, small epiphanies like that that show that you are definitely thinking outside of the traditional community um, mm-hmm. with some very logical and, and important points. I was like, you know, when I saw that, 
I was thinking, why is it that uh, every I've seen a bunch of different self-defense videos for closing the distance, and I've yet to see anybody show uh, slipping and head movement before you do it. <laughs> yes. You know, I, everything I teach is simple. I mean, anybody who's gone to my seminars will tell you that they're that they're they're game changing because of the simplicity, the the philosophical approach that I have to jujitsu, and. There's nothing I show that's more than two or three steps, and, and it works incredibly well. It's incredibly efficient. And uh, every part of my game is like that. I've, I've applied philosophy to every part of my game, and, and you know, no joke. There's a, there's a reason why I, I wasn't getting hit very much. It's not an accident. Believe me, I was petrified of getting hit, so I just tried to get really good at not letting it happen. <laughs> that's and, why. That's, that's the real truth. <laughs> and simple is something that... I was... <laughs> Go ahead. I was, I, I was, I was petrified I was, of getting of getting knocked out, but I tried not to. <laughs> well, you weren't there with monsters like Chad Mendes. I mean, come on, uh, guy hits like a truck. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so uh, Javi, I just want to say uh, on behalf of us, I one one thing that uh, it's been so long since I've had a show and had you and then had you on, but I missed your UFC and your fight analysis. So please, uh, next time, if you would, uh, we'd like to have you come on for a UFC uh, episode because there's really, I haven't really heard anybody breaking it down the way that you break it down. Well, thanks, man. Just let me know and, and, and we'll figure it out, you know? All, good. All right. Uh, we will get it done. Brent will contact you for uh, for a seminar over at his academy, which uh, is uh, he's still working out the details. But thank you very much, uh, Javi. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Brent. That'll be the smartest thing you've ever done in your life. You know that. <laughs> All right. <thank> you. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. I really I'll appreciate it. Um, I'll talk to you soon. I'll be. I'll talk to you, Javi. Thank you. That's Javier Vasquez, UFC WEC veteran. <laughs> Uh, the foremost purveyor of strike-based jiu-jitsu here in California, possibly worldwide, and uh, a man who's competed in basically every type of uh, jiu-jitsu that um, you, you can have. Like he said, he's done no-gi, he's done IBJJF, um, he's had two different uh, professors. Uh, he actually has two black belts, I believe, one under his first professor, and then he has a Gracie black belt as well, and uh, I don't know about you, Brent. I, the guy's phenomenal, really. So, yeah, I um, you know, back in the early two thousands, was super uh, excited about him. Not that I'm not anymore, but um, that he had some unfortunate knee issues that kind of sidelined him for a while. Mm -hmm. So I feel we never got to see the best of him at the time when the sport took off. Like he was a little too early. Like, you know, like age-wise. Mm -hmm. I, I forgot, forgot all about that. that. Yeah, and he hurt his knee, uh, or both knees. He's had issues with both knees. And it's like, it's like I've always been like, damn, like you know, like unlimited potential for that guy. Um, I, I, and I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean, like, I was, like, super amped to see him, especially because he was a Southern California guy. He and Eddie had actually had a bunch of uh, uh, grappling matches before. So there was like a, a good rivalry. They're obviously friends, and and it, I was just excited to see him. And and he was also from uh, the Carlson lineage as well. When I back when I was with Carlson, so that's what it was. I forgot yeah. about that. There's such a weird yeah. connection between you and Pesensky and him. It's just it's freaking me out. 
Yeah, so. he um yeah, he was he was with Rodrigo uh Medeiros as well and then he was out in the uh at with what's his name? Romeo uh out out with uh, some more uh Cross and Gracie guys and then he mm-hmm. opened his own Showtime Academy, I think, and now he has Gracie Rancho Cucamonga. I, I mean, um, I, I can tell you that nobody survived underneath Chad Mendez for the amount of time that he did without having a jiu-jitsu game at the level that he has. And, I mean, he's beaten guy. He beat Joe Stevenson, I think, for his last mm-hmm. fight. And um, he's had a, a tremendous, when you look at his career, like he, he's just... He he was before the the tough era, the Ultimate Fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, he was winning all of his fights, and he was so he never got the shine or the money that came after the Ultimate Fighter on Spike just blew up the entire scene. And cre- you know, after the Forrest Griffin Stephen Bonner season, just changed the whole face and the landscape. Like, and actually, when that happened, I think Javi's knee like was getting knee replacement because in two thousand five, mm-hmm. he was he was supposed to go to the uh to abu dhabi and eddie and him were gonna have uh i think they wanted each other first round and alberto crane was in the mix for that too and um and then uh he injured himself and i don't think he could do he could do abu dhabi that year which was when it was in in long beach so um and then that i think around 2006 or so is when that uh stefan bonner thing came out so he ah it was kind of unfortunate but you know he's doing a lot of good things for jujitsu now, and and uh, I do appreciate his strike based stuff. Yeah, this I mean this could be something analogous to you know Eddie's movement. You know this strike based movement. It could be that third tier that uh, he was talking about. And it was interesting because last time we talked to Tony and we got the tier that likes the guard passing, and and I repeated what he said to us that Hickson told him. When I pass your guard, I'm threatening your life. I mean, when I pass the mount, I'm threatening your life. But the heel hook, you're not threatening my life. You, know, you might twist my knee and break my knee and break my ankle or my foot. But when I'm in mount, I'm threatening your life. And that's something I'm, I didn't want to go into that uh, with Javi because I think the point would be that, you know, not everybody can do, you know, what Hickson could have played any style. I mean, he could have you know, done the heel hook, he could, you know, he, the self-defense, I mean, shoot, he goes down to the Valenti brothers and does, you know, lessons down there, you know, in seminars and stuff, so, you know, I think Hicks, in, in theory, could have been all three styles. Yeah. So. Um, but what's interesting, too, though, is, is that you see most of the older generations have the same feelings um, as as people get older in the sport, they all kind of move toward the idea of self defense and basic movements um, as the answer to things and how important they are. For some reason, when we're like the the younger guns, when they're actively competing, get very caught in in like uh, tunnel vision about the sporting end of it, and then the older guys all even because Tavi was a big time sporting guy. Um, was competing in all like the Southern mm-hmm. California sports tournaments, uh, jiu-jitsu tournaments. I, I, I meant to talk to him about a match. I saw him at, against one of Vonder Braga's guys, but um, you know, I would see him competing. But then toward the when once you're 20 years deep, I started uh, about 17, 18 years ago or so, mm-hmm. and you eventually get back to. And I was very into the sporting end of it, but you eventually get back to this place of like 
the essence of jiu-jitsu is about learning to defend yourself and being able to teach how to defend yourself to people who are not great athletes and who may be older individuals as well. And so uh, we all see Tony was like that. Javi has that feeling. I have that feeling. Um, I think that, you know, uh, there's something to it. There's a reason that all of the older guys, even Eddie, if you look at Eddie, Eddie, who is the most kind of out there, modern, sports-specific guy, I think besides like the Mendez brothers, he is uh, uh, now moving towards striking. I mean, he's always been about MMA, but he's like moving toward that strike-based idea as well with his combat jiu-jitsu. So it always, for everyone's journey, it seems to keep going back toward that place and not really like, oh, I want to try and improve my sporting as much as I can. Yeah, and he's obviously very passionate about it. I think the genesis of his system was to keep people from getting beat up when they're on their back in MMA. So yeah. I mean, that's as about as dangerous a situation as you could be in, you know. So I agree 100%. I'm all about this self-defense, and um, it wouldn't bother me if we were doing uh, self-defense technique every single day to go along with a, a ground technique. So I'm looking forward to coming down to your academy and trying uh, some uh, strike-based jiu-jitsu and, and uh, get comfortable. I mean, I, it's been a long time since I've had gloves on and have trained any MMA and been hit in the face um, on the floor standing up so it'll be it'll be good you know um, yeah I'm looking forward to it um, I was thinking about doing a UFC rant and I don't know if you want to uh, get involved in that before we say goodbye to everybody um, oh I just wanted to say one thing real sure. quickly about en ending Please. the life uh, to this weekend, this past weekend, we had the North American Abu Dhabi Trials on oh, the West Coast. Oh, excuse me. Please do. I, I forgot. forgot. Yeah, please. <laughs> and, I, and, and and there were some exciting matches. And like I said, I think for me, the biggest standout was Nikki Ryan. And, and just I was in shock that this, this kid who, you know, must be like 125 pounds soaking wet was competing with grown men and, and kicking their butts. Um, so I, his future is really bright. And I'm excited. And I'm just excited. In spite of the fact that I don't have his game at all, I'm excited at the at the idea that jiu-jitsu really got to demonstrate the smaller guy, weaker guy, overcoming the stronger, um, even more seasoned guys. Um, so please, what was please it? describe it to me because I tried to catch up to you today and watch some matches, and the only one that I didn't watch was Nicky Ryan. So please, what did he do? Um, you know what? He, he's very, I mean... I hate to, to say it, he's but he's 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 your prototypical Danaher guy. Um, <laughs> he he really he he sits to guard, and then um, I didn't see a ton of top game out of him. Um, I just saw sitting to guard and then kind of you know arm drag to one legged X into uh, the footlock game, and then catching. You know he was playing a lot of fifty uh, fifty to inside heel hook and then transitioning. Um, to uh between feet um but and he wouldn't sit up on the uh the feet to take the sweep he would just continue to to go after the legs so wow. that was a lot of what we saw he you know it was like watching a smaller eddie cummings um but what was interesting is you know you're talking about hickson taking your life and 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 there were some pretty serious footlocks that happened um i think that actually Gio martinez had bruno uh Mm -hmm. In in a, a pretty deep uh, knee bar, and you can see like the pain on Bruno's face. And actually, 
there were a couple matches where I saw guys who were in deep and in bad situations with their feet, and they just kind of said, you know, like, forget it. I'll let you take my foot. I don't care. Like, you take yeah. it home like the way the Meow Brothers do. You can't do that in a guillotine. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting point. I haven't seen the, the Meow Brothers. That, are they ones that fight off the heel hooks and all that? Oh, yeah. They, um, well, toe holds. Well, yeah, okay, for Meow Brothers is interesting. Oh, God, I forget. I, I'm so bad. I mix up the Mendes Brothers. I mix up the Meow Brothers. <laughs> I, I don't mix up between them, but, like, you know, between yeah. Yao and Paul or whatever. Right. One of, uh, one of them who allegedly may be having got caught with steroids, like, you know, it hasn't hit the USA USADA website yet. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, they um, – one of them was in – EBI and got caught in some deep heel hooks and would not tap. Um, and then like a week later was down in, it was weird. I think they had like a, a tournament in Guatemala, which was a really strange place. Mm-hmm. I want to say Guatemala or like El Salvador, Central, Central America, American so. country that it was not Mexico and was not Costa Rica and not Panama. It was kind of, it was central, central, mm-hmm. central America. And they, <laughs> They did a tournament there, and he came, he came out with, like, both of his knees completely taped, walking funny. And I'm like, damn, that dude just doesn't care. And I've seen him, the Meow Brothers, in, like, awful toe holds where they're, you know, the toe is completely pushed all the way into their butt. And we're in a position that, you know, it would snap either of our feet off to, the, mm-hmm. you know, like, compound fracture. And they're just, they keep going, and they, you know, they don't care. So they're, I don't agree with that because i think that the longevity of their career is being put at risk <laughs> however you know people do resist footlocks in a different way for some reason and are able to like go okay pop my pop my ankle a couple times but i'll keep going whereas you know obviously with a rear naked choke you can't go you to can't do that and come yeah come back from it you can't um even for some reason with arm bars too i mean there was a there was the jacare Hodger gracie final where Hodger popped Jacare's arm, and then Jacare still won the match by uh, kind of like fending off Hodger from the feet for about 30 seconds. But overall, when a guy really gets his arm cranked, um, he screams, and that's the end of it. But I don't know what goes on with feet. For some reason, people resist feet more, and they they power through it. Well, I'll tell you my theory about the Brazilians is that, and this is just my theory, is they grow up, uh, doing a lot of flip-flops and a lot of bare feet, and they don't wear a lot of shoes, except now, of course, you see on every podium, everybody's wearing running shoes, which kind of pisses me off. But but originally, a lot of Brazilians wear a lot of flip-flops, and if you watch even Professor Felipe, the way that he's able to jam his toes onto the mat and how much pressure he can put on his feet in different positions, there's a lot more musculature there because a lot of us grew. I mean, I wore boots in the military for over 20 years. Every day, your your foot doesn't develop any muscle when you're wearing boots, but when you're able to use your feet and flex your feet and you're barefoot and you're on the mat, I mean, look at Professor Fabio's feet. Those are monstrous. Those feet. When he puts that boot on, it is very difficult to do anything with him. Yeah. Well. And the other thing is, is that soccer is their national sport. That's true so too. Some of their ankles 
you're, I, I played soccer all growing up, and it's very difficult to actually straight foot lock me. Mm-hmm. Not a not Achilles lock, not where you, you're going to snap my Achilles, but the one where they, they're basically trying to stretch your foot back as far as they can. I, mm-hmm. It's almost impossible to finish me like that because of the flexibility because of your shot um, when you're shooting in soccer. You're pointing your toe directly at the floor, so really you're just stretching your foot every time you kick the ball. So people are always like, oh, is it going to pop? Is it going to pop? And I'm like, no, just keep going. Like, you don't have it. Um, so, yeah, there is something, too, in Brazil. They do foot sports. They walk around uh, developing their feet the way that, like, those barefoot shoes do. So I, I, I agree. I never thought of it like that. I, and, and, you know, I can tell you I've been wearing the five-finger shoes since, I would say, 2009 at the, the earliest, maybe 2010, but let's say 2009. And my feet still aren't developed. And I'm always wearing anatomical shoes now. I don't wear any, you know, I'm either wearing the uh, New Balance Minimus or flip-flops or my five fingers. or And, and my feet, it's just, if, I think what you're saying, you know, you start developing at an early age. And I still don't feel like my, fit, my feet are strong. So, uh, and I guess that guy Nick Kurson says that, Every fighter that comes in there, the guy that's trained Rafael and a number of other fighters around there from Costa Mesa, apparently he says every fighter I have to build up their feet because they don't have a base. You know, they're strong everywhere except they don't have strong feet. So, I don't know. Um, is he um, Is he a Nick Kirsten? Is he a black belt? I don't know his jiu-jitsu credentials. I heard him on Joe Rogan, and that's how they got into the discussion. And Joe was talking about how weak his feet were when he went to do yoga. His feet would tire out in some of those balancing poses and stuff. And now he's doing it like two or three days a week, and Eddie's going three days a week. Um, and so, you know, they're getting... Eddie in a yoga class. That's a funny proposition to me. I mean, he's really flexible, but it's just, it just doesn't feel like his style. It's in Joe, too. Uh, I want to see Brent in a yoga class. Uh, I've, I've done yoga before. I just found it so painful. I was like, you know what? I have enough pain in my life from jujitsu. Like the, the long term injuries I've had from jujitsu. I just don't, I don't need any more pain. I understand that it brings mindfulness to you. Being able to sit with the pain is, is actually like a great exercise, but I'm not ready for that yet. I, I just You're too can't. young, right? Yeah, maybe as I get older yeah. and. It heals me. It's healing. Like to me, it, I'm, I'm, you know, normally, like right now, I, if I didn't end up having pulling my back muscle and looking like a total jackass <laughs> and during warm-ups, um, I would have uh, been gone to yoga tomorrow to try to heal up and then go Wednesday and then spend the next couple days healing up. So that's what it does for me. But at your age, you know, you don't really need to. I didn't start doing yoga until I was 42 so I'm not that far from it. Um, yeah. The what's it called? The other thing is there's some interesting studies on stretching and static stretching in terms of risk uh, for injury in combat sports, and that it may increase your risk a little bit if you're doing too much static stretching before you fight, um, because it ends up creating micro tears so that the muscle isn't as strong and then you know you get your your opponent applying pressure on your muscles in awkward ways 
the same way that like high jumpers and stuff don't don't like to stretch out right before they run or do their jumping mm-hmm. thing and sprinters sprinters won't do too much static stretching before they sprint because they want their muscles as like uh, strong and tight and as possible. There could be some truth to that. Um, I just know, like in your in your off days. I mean, I actually heard Diego Sanchez on air today, and he said, "I've been doing yoga for 15 years." I'm like, "Oh my God, that's a lot longer than." Well, then I guess it doesn't help your mind that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, he started talking about marijuana, and um, he was, uh, he got into a deep discussion with Ariel that he's not doing uh, the marijuana or whatever he was doing. I, I kind of was in and out of that, trying to prepare for the show, watching some grappling today. So I, I really was I, I was kind of not trying to pay too much attention, but I did hear a couple of snippets. So, uh, but yes, you'll see. yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I know Diego's such a character. I'm looking forward to his his fight with uh, Ally Quinta Quinta this uh, Saturday night. And um, I, I, you know, if Al doesn't go to the floor with him, then he's very dangerous on the floor. I think it could be dangerous for him. Um, but if Al keeps it standing, I don't see how he he necessarily loses. So yeah, that's been the story of Diego's life. Um, he kind of leads real strong with his head and. And he, when he hits the mats, he's on your back in ten seconds. But you know, he gets, he ends up getting in these striking wars with guys, and he's putting his chin out there, and it's rough. Yeah, it's you know, and you know, it gets him bonuses before they put a cap on the bonuses. Um, I don't remember. He made like a hundred grand to fight that guy uh, Martin Campman, and I remember specifically he got a hundred and sixty thousand dollar bonus. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's like pretty insane. Um, but, uh, I don't know if my brain is worth, uh, losing. I mean, not that I have any of the talent that Diego has and could ever be in that situation, but if by some miracle, like I was, I still am like, man, I don't want that. That bonus is like, Hey, we're paying you for the years of your life. You're not going to be able to chew stuff and remember your phone number. Yeah, I, I mean, one of these days I'll get Coach Chris Luttrell on, and he'll tell you some good Diego stories from way back. Um, Chris was Greg Jackson's first black belt. He was Greg Jackson's first fighter. Um, he was a United Airlines flight, excuse me, a Southwest Airlines flight attendant. I can't believe I had United on the brain. Uh, and he helped, he traveled the country and rolled with everybody and helped him develop that system in the early 90s. And so he knows Diego from a very young age and has a lot of Diego stories. And I remember even like John Wayne Parr, who is the Muay Thai guy. I don't know. He, he just had a victory. You know what I'm talking about. I think he just won last weekend. Um, and he's in his early 40s now. And John Wayne Parr said, man, even in Thailand... Diego is known as a warrior of the highest order. He has uh, built a respect that people feel that he is the utmost warrior in combat sports, and he's always been that way. And even I know a guy in Albuquerque who had beaten Diego in wrestling, and um, Diego invited him down to Jackson's when he was kind of interested in MMA and just wanted to beat the hell out of... uh, this guy named uh, Chris Avila, actually, who was 
uh, an MMA coach of note for some times. Uh, he coached at Jackson's and also with uh, Coach Luttrell. So I got all kinds of Albuquerque stories for days. I'm not even going to go there. Uh, but. Well, that guy must have been the one because I think Diego might have won state or came in second in yes. state. Yeah, 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 I think he did, but um, but, but yeah, Chris Avila beat him, but he went off to college to wrestle, and he um, focused solely on wrestling while Diego, you know, out of high school, he went to, like, El Dorado High School, I think, and then he went into Jackson's, he was already bouncing, like, when he was, like, right out of high school, he was a bouncer, and then he went to Jackson's and, and got into uh, MMA, and uh, obviously... The rest and Albuquerque's a tough town to be bouncing in, man. It ain't it ain't Beverly Hills over there. <laughs> no, no, it is. It's a very tough town. I I, I uh, had the pleasure of living there for a few years, and uh, it's an it's an awesome place. But yes, there it's it's a very very tough place. Albuquerque Police Department has been on cops I don't know how many times, so uh, <laughs> and been under uh, various investigations and. Uh, etc. So, like I said, uh, as as we progress through the show, uh, and I'm gonna have Tristan Critchfield on from, he's the uh, editor of SureDog.com, good friend of mine. He's uh, also a big NBA fan, so he loves to come on and talk NBA. Uh, he plays rec league basketball all year round. He is uh, <laughs> he is um, an Albuquerque native also, so he's right there to Jackson's when. Uh, when something goes down, he's 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 there. So, um, so I just have a quick rant I want to go through, uh, Brent, and just get your take on this. And it is uh, every time Demetrius Johnson fights, I have to go on Twitter and read how every MMA scribe and host is out there saying. Why aren't they pushing DJ? Why isn't they marketing this guy and 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 just you know inundating us with with pleas for this? And while I agree, you know the UFC has like a six-figure PR staff that is supposed to be taking care of this, trying to pick who they want to market and who do they pick? Sage Northcutt, who's lost like his last two, and uh, Paige Van Zandt, you know, they get her on this, and Karate Hottie, who goes out there this weekend and ends up looking bad. So they are choosing, instead of what I see is in the old days, there was a merit-based system of who they were going to promote. Chuck Liddell's beating everybody, knocking everybody out, even knocked Randy unconscious after uh, losing to Randy, and Chuck Liddell got pushed. Randy got pushed as Captain America, unbelievable light heavyweight and then heavyweight uh, eventual champion. Um, George St. Pierre went and beat Matt Hughes, who was you know at the time the greatest welterweight ever. And then George St. Pierre went on a run where he had one loss in something like six or seven years. That's the kind of guy you push. And then you know we could go on down the line. You know John Jones or Anderson Silva went and and destroy the UFC's poster boy, Rich Franklin, and then he went on a run. So now they're trying to pick somebody based on their physical appearance, be it Ronda Rousey, you know, be it the Karate Hottie or Sage or Page, and market these guys and not let it be a Tony Ferguson, a merit-based sort of a thing. And so why should I be tweeting and trying to get 
the UFC to do this. I don't. To me, they have the entirely the wrong approach about who they're going to promote because essentially, to me, the fighter is going to promote themselves. You just have to then take when they put on the performance that merits it, then you go ahead and you back them up and start getting them opportunities, whether Yoana Yanjacek, etc. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I might provide a counterpoint. Um, if you look at, say, like, uh, not Super Bowls, because everyone watches those, but NBA Finals, or you look at the World Series, when there are two cities that nobody cares about, people don't watch it, even though it's for the championship. If you have, I'm not saying people don't care about these cities who live there, but, like, if it's not L.A., New York, Chicago, Miami... And if, if it's like, if let's say, for instance, the Milwaukee Brewers went to go play, uh, <laughs> you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates, Not like viewer, viewership would be way down. Mm -hmm. So people aren't always so married to the idea of meritocracy in, in watching their sports and watching the absolute pinnacle best. They do want to be entertained and they want to have, and part of that entertainment is having a connection to a fighter. So I think when they're picking someone like a Sage Northcutt, um, they're pin they've pinpointed a specific market of like pretty much. If you notice, most of the people that they promote are white people, mm -hmm. Americans. Yeah. So they've they've identified like okay, we want the eighteen to thirty eight white middle America demographic. And that's what they're going after. And they can create pay-per-views based on that. They don't have to necessarily follow who's the best. They just can create it um, based on the story because they're connecting people through the story. And I do see a point in doing that, which is that um, this, in the same way that there's been arguments that the NBA has like had referees who were trying to make sure the Lakers made it and making all of that <laughs> Mm -hmm. Is that you know? Is that there is more money if they find somebody whose story will connect with more people? There's more money in those headline fights than there are than with just the best fighter who doesn't connect with anybody. Is it fair? No. Well, it's so, not working uh, out <laughs> because yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. They're back. That's the point. Horses. Yeah. Yeah, is that you can promote the hell out of Karate Hottie. In fact, she was just signed by WMEIMG as a client, a talent client, and then signed to the UFC. So there's a conflict of interest right there. If you're the opponent, you know that they're that, that your opponent is going to get more push because they're signed to the same company who owns the UFC. So there's one thing. And then she goes out and gets finished in the first round then what do you got? She's had one fight in the UFC, and who was that? It was say it was Paige. So, so you're gonna try to build a star off of one fight? She hasn't proven anything yet. Is it? Well, if you look at, I mean, right? Is it smart? Well, maybe they're looking at it in the long game, where you're correct. They've backed a couple bad horses, but then they back McGregor, and he completely blew up the UFC. I mean, when you look mm -hmm. at the pay-per-view numbers, and then he's like the first guy. He made like $13 million from a fight. I mean, when but he, he big proved it. He yeah. proved it by so taking out guy after guy after guy. He, yes. So they're trying to find their next McGregor, and they probably understand that they're going to back some dogs. 
that that the people are not going to pan out. But Rousey was a good backing for them too. Um, you know, she ended up okay. Now she's nowhere, but in her run, she p- p- women's MMA would would be a blip on the map. Would be nothing. Here's my example. Here's my example of how popular Rousey is. When Rousey either wins or loses a fight, somebody as far away from MMA as someone like Anderson Cooper or um, Katie Couric knows that she either won or lost. And there's nobody else that you can say that about other than McGregor. There's no other UFC fighter you could say, oh, the next morning they checked and saw who won. The Eagle. Uh, No, no, what's his name? Oh, Khabib? (laughs) Yeah, everyone. I'm kidding. Um, No, No, you're you're right. Yeah, everybody knows. Yeah, so that worked out for them. So they backed the right there. They backed McGregor. So they're going to back 10 or 15 of these people who all kind of don't pan out and become like low-level gatekeepers. But they're going to get one or two, and those one or two are going to be worth it. You don't win every lottery you enter, but if you win one or two, man, you're set for life. So I think maybe that might be their vision is they understand like water. I mean, they're smart enough. They have enough guys and matchmakers to understand what people's limitations are. Um, and so forth. So, Well, allow me to point out the folly in their plan. Because you can say, I'm backing McGregor. This guy's amazing. He does great numbers. But in any business deal, and I've said this on the podcast before, so folks, excuse me if you've heard this, but in any business deal, the best deal is if both of us walk away from it thinking what? We both got what we wanted. Or we both could do, we both could have done better. Because if I get everything I want, then that means that you, Brent, didn't get everything you want. Right? So if I'm 100% happy with our deal, then it means you probably aren't 100% happy because we negotiated something. Fair? Right. Okay. And when you negotiate, one party is usually left feeling... Exactly. So the best business deals, we both walk away thinking we got something... Well, we didn't get everything, and and we're going to just be content with that. In the case of McGregor, he he got kicked out of UFC 200 because he didn't show up for the press conference. So that big weekend they had planned in July, they they gave him the Heisman and kept him out. So here's UFC 205 in New York. McGregor says, "I want to be on that card." And now that we have a new uh, lightweight champion, Eddie Alvarez, and he says, "I want to fight Eddie Alvarez." At the same time, you have a guy there in, in, in Jose Aldo who hadn't lost in something like 10 years, and he says, I want one more shot at McGregor to try to get my belt back. So you have two things that you want to accomplish. i got to have McGregor on the card, but do I want to give him the lightweight shot? Because if he gets that, he has two belts, right? And he's already talking about Floyd Mayweather. That talk's already started, right? So, if he does this, he could potentially walk away with everything, and I got nothing but my schlong in my hand, right? Mm-hmm. So, the smart thing would have been, now you have a Russian guy who represent is gigantic in Russia. I don't think I need to tell you how popular he is, because you're watching what he, what he does when he shows up and does media, right? Mm-hmm. So, you have the Russian guy coming back who's undefeated, who deserves the lightweight shot, you have Jose Aldo who hasn't lost this one fight in 10 years, and then you have McGregor, and you have Alvarez who doesn't, they don't owe him crap, right? 
So you take McGregor and say, yeah, we want you on 205, but you're going to do us a solid. you got to fight Aldo. And if you win that fight, we will give you a shot at the lightweight title, whoever wins it. Of course, we know it was going to be Nurmagomedov. Then Nurmagomedov gets what he wants. You move forward the lightweight division, the featherweight division, and then everybody gets something, but nobody gets everything. Now, what do you have now with McGregor? If you're in the UFC, you have... Huh? What do you well, got? Now, now what we have is him holding all the cards. That's right. <laughs> and, he, and he's holding he's holding two divisions hostage. I mean, not really, but he is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, you bring up a good point, and I, um, I never thought the UFC would concede and allow someone to to fight for two belts because, in the end, I believe that it uh, stalls out the divisions, and it also whatever division. Uh, they take over whether they went higher in weight or lower looks weaker they, because the champion from that division uh, was taken out by another champion. So it devalues, I feel like the, the entire, the other division entirely. Yep. I was surprised they let it happen. Um, I don't, I don't know if they look at that now and say, well, that was big a big mistake. Of course, yeah. of course it's, it's a, a big, big mistake because now you've not, you've pissed off. You cannot, you have 367 guys under contract, there's no way you could serve the needs of just one guy and then tell the other 360, we don't care about you. Because now they're in the media and they're needling you every day and saying how much they don't agree with everything you do. And that was not a thing. The UFC was a family business under those two brothers. And now it's not. Now it is a corporate entity. And it is being run like a corporation and they have cut employees all over the world in their Canada office, close their China office, close a number of different offices, and you know what? Good for them, because it's really all about the talent, and you really didn't need all those expenditures. That being said, you you should not have given... You had to leave McGregor with something to want when he left UFC 205, and you didn't do that. You left him nothing to want. And that's that's the problem. And then you... You know, we could talk about Sage, we could talk about Page. You know, they're giving Sage, you know, uh, uh, you know, $80,000 or $40,000 and his opponent's making fifteen grand, and these guys are have a better record than he is. Now, where does that leave him now? You know, so it's just a lot of stupid things instead of looking at a guy like Tony Ferguson and saying, you know what, I want to pay that guy because that guy, that guy is doing work. And there is a community and a demographic that I can market that guy just like I can market Nathan Diaz or Nick Diaz to a market. It's not going to be the soccer moms, right? Right. So, you know, this is, this is what I'm getting at. There are, there's a market for everybody, but if you're just going to look at a person and go, oh, they're good looking, they want to fight. Yeah, okay. Now the karate hottie just got beat. How do you think that's going to work out for her when she moves up and she starts getting into a Claudia and Jessica Andrade and all these other killer girls there at 115, plus the wrestler girl from Los Angeles, Tatiana Suarez. She, a lot of people haven't seen her yet, man. Ain't nobody going to stop her takedown. So, you know you know what I mean? This rant, this rant comes at a good time because there was, uh, I don't know if you saw, there was some chatter about Cody No Love uh, talking about him fighting uh, up a weight class. Oh, him fighting at 145? Wow. Not, yeah, I think the UFC denied it, but 
I, I don't even know if he was asking for it. I forget who. I'd have to look it up again, but to see who he wanted to fight. But they they were Aldo, right? At one point, might, might have been. So. I think yeah. Well, what it is is everybody. If you notice, you know, it's a copycat league. We could say like the NFL. Everybody wants to copy McGregor. So as soon as yeah. McGregor wanted to jump weight classes now, Woodley wants to fight Bisping. And Cody No Love wanted to fight at 145, and they said, no, you're going to fight TJ. So they, they do a couple things that make sense. And, and, and uh, you know, Demetrius is talking about um, fighting up a weight class. But you know what? If you have cleaned out your weight division like Demetrius, I don't care. He could go fight Velasquez for all I care and leave the belt. He's beating everybody. You know, but yeah. when you just win a belt like Woodley, and you're talking about you want to go change, go and fight Bisping, you know, you haven't beat anybody yet. Why don't you go on a run? Like the reason that Saint Pierre and Silva wanted it, uh, that was going to be a thing, is because Saint Pierre had beat everybody, and Silva had beat everybody. But you guys that have won one fight, <laughs> what are you talking about? That's not how the ch the legends became legends. And that's what I think Tyron didn't understand. Is and I, I love Tyron. I think he's a great role model. And I want to. I want to. Um, you know what? Uh, I want to put one thing out there, Brent. And I want it because this goes to the black audience that they say that they want to court that they're not actively courting the black audience. I proposed on Twitter to them to Woodley and to the UFC. Why don't you do a multi-city tour? of you know traditional inner cities like a new york a baltimore do somewhere in the midwest like kansas city like you know tyron's hometown you know maybe uh you know oklahoma city wherever you could do do you know a multi-city tour with black ufc stars in neighborhoods where they don't have these super high expensive mma gyms and jiu-jitsu gyms and go and put on seminars and bring out black kids who like you know boxing or wrestling and 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 do a day you know seminar in you know five or six cities and the ufc hasn't done that and what are we talking about here you know 100k or something to do something like that? i mean what are we talking about maybe a couple hundred k at the most to do that why haven't they done something like that um yeah i couldn't speak for them i can speak for my very limited thought process on it which is that ufc makes money from pay-per-views and maybe they when they look at the demographics of who buys the most pay-per-views they just don't fit that demographic but i that's me just talking out of my it's head. true no, no, I think, think you're right. right. But how do you build that demographic? You bring it to those neighborhoods. You show them, here's Bobby Green. These are people, you know, my wife says it all the time. You know, there's somebody who looks like me. That's what people respond to is when is when you have a DC and an Aljamain Sterling and a Tyron Woodley and all these super-duper stand-up guys that, you know, you would want your kid to be like, you know, and, and let them come in and do a seminar and say, this is what wrestling and jiu-jitsu is like and MMA. And, you know, there's boxing gyms all over. I think Tyron Woodley might have his uh, little space in a, in a boxing gym himself in uh, St. Louis because he's got a little, a little place that he does. Some, so I know he's doing it himself, but why isn't the UFC sponsoring that? How are you going to get a black audience, you know? So, uh, their goal may be a Chinese audience. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, failed in China, China too. So, <laughs> I mean, that, that, you know, who knows? I don't know what they what they do behind closed doors. Who they, who they, uh, what's it called? Uh, Want to 
who they're recording or not, what yeah. markets they're looking at. I mean, what's his name? McGregor was great to bring Europe into the, the mm-hmm. game. So was Bisbing. I think when Biz, Bisbing was like the first European fighter to mm-hmm. really do like nationalism stuff where you know, he's, I'm British and... And then Dan Hardy got brought in, but uh, yeah, you know, I don't know what, who they're looking at, but they may not just be like, okay, we don't care about the black audience because we're on to to Guam or whatever, and we'll see if we're yeah. in Japan. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. I mean, if you want to grow the sport and you want to get um, some of those kids who would be boxing into our sport, then that's what you need to do. You need to introduce them to it because boxing is still king in the black community. Uh, I'll never forget um, listening to Tyron Woodley and Dean Thomas interview Kimbo Slice, the late, great Kimbo Slice, R.I.P. Kimbo. Um, And they said, man, I don't know what it is, Kimbo, but I would love to have in my fan base what you have. When I went to your fight, they said it looked like the Source Awards. There were so many black people there. And and people that come to my events are mostly white. And I'd love to have a black audience. How do you do it? And Kimbo can't explain it. He just has that thing that black people, people just gravitate to Kimbo. Not even only black people, just but, you know, um, he was able to get the black audience interested in him in a way that nobody else was. And it's it's uh, uh, that's just him, you know what I mean? That's just he had that magnetism, you know, that je ne sais quoi. So and his his beginnings were humble and very street, and so you yeah, kind of. I don't, you know, I feel awkward even talking about the black community. I have no business. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. I I just want to see more more uh, black folks in, involved in in MMA and liking MMA and talking about MMA. That's all. That's my only goal. And I know until the money's there, I don't think the black community will come because if you look at you know, kind of what this part I do know about having worked around so many boxing gyms. It's like for boxing coaches, this is an investment. You know, they're when they look at these athletes and they they turn out to be hundred thousand million dollar athletes. Um, and in the same with the football fields and basketball and baseball and mm-hmm. and these sports and the kids see it the same way. Is like this is my way to make hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. MMA. I mean, right now, it, the the tide is turning but it's still not it doesn't have the same uh, money behind it and it in terms of like what they're paying the athletes so if you look right. at a star athlete in the nba versus a star athlete and then oh. in the ufc it's yeah so for them it still just doesn't make sense because if if i'm gonna spend my time and my athletic prowess on something it better pay off so why am i gonna waste my time with mma at this time why not just do you know, football or one of the sports that's going to pay me. You know, I agree with you, and I'll, I'll close with this. And, and Brendan Schaub, uh, who I've quoted on the show before, made a very salient point. When you put him in a room with an Eddie Bravo and Joe Rogan and, and some other guys who couldn't give a crap less about stick and ball sports, he shows them how ignorant they are about those sports. And what he said is, he said, if I was an All-American in wrestling, there's a pretty good chance that I could go in to an MMA gym, learn some skills, and have a pro fight pretty soon thereafter, and maybe even get into the UFC. And that's legit, right? Yeah, absolutely. He said the best basketball players in the country don't even maybe make a maybe don't even make the NBA. Guys that are all Americans in basketball that don't even make a roster. 
That's the difference in, in the level. And in the NFL, you could be an All-American receiver and, and you'd be lucky to even start uh, or even, you know, make an NFL team. That's how hard it is. I mean, you could look at Michael Sam as an example, you know, the Missouri linebacker who was all SEC and isn't even in the NFL right now. I mean, you could, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of those, those guys and gals. So that's the difference in the level of how great you have to be to, to, to be a starter in that sport, and yet you can walk off a college wrestling mat and have a pro fight in a pretty short period of time. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Yeah, depth of talent. Yep. So, all right. Thank you for engaging in that rant with me, Brent. And uh, please, if you have a rant that you want to bring up on the show, we'll just give you the floor and allow you to, uh, to, to just uh, fire, uh, fire away both barrels uh, for as long as you need to, okay? All right. I'm doing a, an interview, actually, with Jiu-Jitsu Times. Uh, it's an online deal. Um, and they, they, they're asking me about, uh, Baron Bolos mm-hmm. for be, for beginners. So maybe you, you can see <laughs> oh, that rant. Oh God, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. once, once they post that. So, um, by the way, before you go, can you give us any sort of an update on, um, on your, um, impending academy? Uh, I got bad news. Not that I'm not doing it, but, um, so I had, found a location and i still can't really say where it's at that's okay and and i had applied for the lease and we were in the process of doing the negotiating on the lease and then the owner came back saying oh you know we we've got some uh zoning issues for it and the zoning isn't an issue for me because my partner's uh wife works on the zoning commission (laughs) zoning isn't my problem and then oh it's a problem for us so basically it fell through. I think it for some other reason, maybe they had somebody else who was making offers on the place and they were using us to leverage it and they wanted their business there more. So now I'm back to looking for a location, which is very difficult because of the saturation of Gracie Baja here in Southern California. Right. And I want a location that has good foot traffic, good street view, good signage, and then is just a good space in general with good parking. Um, and in a neighborhood that is affluent enough, you know, we we're just talking about the bringing, you know, these expensive MA gyms, but is affluent enough to be able to pay for it. And when you look at, when you put all those criteria together, it, it adds to, it, it is a very limited inventory. So I'm hoping, I was hoping to be open by, you know, like June or something, but now I've got to find another space and I don't know how long that's going to take. That's the hardest part about all this. Once I have the space and the lease is signed, I mean, it's like three weeks and I can open. I wouldn't do that because I'd want to do some pre-opening stuff. But that part is easy. The, the hard part is finding the space. So I'm back to square one. I'm actually looking at some different radiuses now. I was looking just strictly in Orange County. Now I'm looking in southern L.A. County as well. So, Well, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm... Been, you know, I'm looking forward to it. it you know, nobody's opened a business where it was smooth sailing. I, I never heard Absolutely. of one. So. Yeah, and I don't want to um, rush into a location simply because I'm desperate to get started and then regret it right. later because I'm locked into a lease. So it really, I have to keep my enthusiasm in check and not look at everything like, oh, yeah, it would be great here and just go, okay, let's be realistic about this. So 
it may be longer than I thought. I also don't really want to open in the middle of summer, which is the dead season for jujitsu because everyone's on vacation. The kids are at camp. So my goal would then, my next goal is to hopefully open by September. When, when school, school starts. starts. Right. And people start signing up for stuff and stop going on vacations. So that's hopefully when, um, so I'm picking up my, every, every night I look at properties online and then, you know, during the daytime I go drive and look at them. So we'll see. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time and your schedule to uh, be the co-host uh, and uh, keep keep me in this. I'm sorry I didn't get to train with you tonight. That was the most embarrassing thing. I was basically what ended up happening was I was speaking with Batata about AC-130 gunships, not starting to get focused on my training and what we we're about to do. And I ran over to my spot, started doing jumping jacks, felt my ankle give way, which wasn't a big deal, but somewhere my back it did something to my back and i pulled like pulled a muscle in my back and then after that i couldn't even do the push-ups i had to like basically limp off the mat like an idiot and i just went down to the ocean to try to let the cold water calm it down a little bit so if if we're gonna do uh on my final my final bit if we're gonna do embarrassing injuries i was cutting weight for a tournament mm -hmm. i was at my i was at my office um, when I was working in aerospace, and I moved my mouse too quickly and pulled my pec muscle. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's worse. I think that trumps everything. And with that, folks, it's graciebaja72.wordpress.com if you want to see First Day BJJ and get the teachings of a Gracie Baja and 10th Planet Black Belt. And that is the one, the only Brent Littell we have to post your black belt speech one of these days we have to see that again okay? i have it in two in two parts yes okay is it on your facebook uh it, i gotta find no it's it's on youtube i have to i have to find it again yeah, yeah we, we've, we've got to get that on your on your your media okay <laughs> all right great <laughs> all right brent thank you very much i appreciate it and i'll talk to you uh maybe i'll see if i can get there wednesday to either watch or train see how my back is okay all right, feel better. All right, buddy, thank you. Bye-bye. That's Brent Littell, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, black belt from Eddie Bravo and Gracie Baja. And uh, we're just so thrilled to be able to have him on the show as uh, as a co-host every week. I'm pretty, pretty lucky. So if you want to get hold of me, it's at MMA underscore BJJ underscore and life on Twitter. It is DJ San Marco on Facebook and DJ San Marco one at Gmail. If you want to talk to me, tell me how terrible I am, or tell me how to make the show better if you so choose. But uh, either way, I want to thank you for tuning in, and as always, I wonder what's up around the bend. Those days are over